This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Once again, it's time to head to the far north to have a visit from Sergeant Preston and his famous dog, Yukon King, uh, about the dog. There is some confusion regarding King's actual breed. The producers seem to use Malamute and Husky interchangeably. At least once, Preston answered Malamute to the question from another character, and in the early radio shows, the cries of, On you Huskies! would alternate with, On you Malamutes! from show to show. (laughs) We're going to tonight's episode, which is entitled Music Hall Murder. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, present the challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the northwest. Blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On you Huskies! Gold. Gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog Yukon King as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. Listen, fellas and girls, it looks from here as though the Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice great new offer is going to be a record breaker. And no wonder, there's never been anything quite like it. Just imagine, the swell-tasting breakfast cereal shot from guns are offering you an official challenge of the Yukon flashing signal light. This brand new pocket-sized signal light is an amazing invention made specially for you listeners. It's a special kind of flashlight that works two ways. That is, this signal light sends out beams of red light or beams of green light. Yes, with a flick of your finger, it flashes red or it flashes green. Say, there's nothing like this mystifying two-way signal light for sending secret codes and messages, for signaling your friends, for fun. Whatever you do, listen to how you get yours. I'll tell you in just a few minutes. Nearly everyone in Dawson had heard of Trigger Bill Desmond, the sharpshooting star of the All-American Wild West shows. But when Big Ben Diamond brought him to the Yukon to be the featured attraction at the music hall, the sourdoughs were more than a little surprised at his appearance. He was short even in cowboy boots. He was slight. 
He was 26, but he seemed to be about 19. He had light, curly hair, blue eyes, and was extremely polite to everyone he met. Well, that's the best shot in the United States, huh? Don't look like a bad man to me. He's nothing but a kid. I wonder if he can shoot. We'll find out about that tomorrow night. Maybe he uses a slingshot. (laughs) Big Ben, hard and ruthless, disliked the kid from the first moment he saw him. But Trigger Bill could shoot. And at the finish of his act, when he blazed away with both guns and the target bell rang out a rapid-fire tribute to his accuracy, the music hall audience rose to its feet and cheered. Even Ben gave his grudging approval. Hey, kid, come here. Yes, sir. No, kid, I was all set to give you a notice. Didn't you like the act, sir? I changed my mind. You're not much to look at. If those clay pipes and targets could talk... You'd probably be afraid to shoot at him. That depends, sir. I was in Cuba with Colonel Roosevelt's Rough Riders. <laughs> the mascot of the troop, huh? Well, as I say, I've changed my mind. The crowd likes you, and I won't break our contract. But keep away from here when you're not working. You might get into trouble. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, the kid was a popular attraction at the music hall. But it was a mistake for him to ask Sally O'Neill to help him with his act. It was early one morning in the deserted cafe that Big Ben roared his disappointment. Well, listen, Sprout. I'm the one who does the hiring around here, and I hire Sally to dance. She offered to help, sir. I certainly did, Ben, and I'm going to. Is that so? You heard me, Ben. Just don't forget you're my girl. Twenty-three skadoo. I'm giving you fair warning, Willie. Don't get any fancy ideas. Kid, why did you let him call you Willie? Well, it... It's my name, sort of. He didn't mean it as any compliment. I know, but I don't like trouble. Seems to me I'm always getting into it, so I try not to rile people. And so they use you for a doormat. Well, get this straight. I'm not Ben's girl. I don't like his style. But I don't like any man who doesn't have some gumption. I'm sorry. Never mind. Let's get on with the rehearsal. Now, what do I do? Hold out one of those clay pipes to start with. And I'll, uh, I'll stand over here. Like this? Yeah. Uh, hold it a little farther away till you get used to it. All right. Shoot. Hmm. A kid, do you ever miss? Well, no. Then you listen to me. You're going to stand up for your rights a little more around here. By the way you can shoot, you don't have to take any back talk from any man. I can't bluff anybody, Sally. People just seem to know I wouldn't use a gun on anything but a target. Not unless somebody drew first. And people don't even carry guns in Dawson. Some of them do. And I think you better be one of them. I can't. I just don't understand you. I'm I'm sorry. If only you had a little of my temper. It wouldn't be fair for me to get into a gunfight. I can draw faster and shoot straighter than any man I ever met. The other fellow wouldn't have a chance. Maybe I'm wrong. What? You couldn't be wrong about anything. Yes, I am. The only trouble with you is that you're a nice guy. And I wouldn't want that to be changed. But nobody's going to take advantage of you around here because of that. And I'm going to make it my business to see that they don't. Now, come on. Let's get on with the rehearsal. With Sally helping with the act, it became even more popular... And the men of Dawson learned to like the kid. 
He had no trouble with Ben because the big man was spending most of the time at his mine in Rainbow Creek. There was talk of a feud between him and Mike Lonigan, who owned the property next to him. Mike's gone to the police. Why? What's happened? He accuses Ben's men of robbing the sluices. They say Sergeant Preston's investigating it. Well, if Ben and Mike tangle, there's going to be fireworks. The fireworks came, and they started one evening at the music hall. The kids stopped at a table where Sally was sitting with some of the other girls. It's about time for us to go on, Sally. I'm ready, kid. As Sally rose from her chair, Brad Kramer, late of the San Francisco underworld and now a notorious Dawson troublemaker, walked up to her. Hey, where do you think you're going? It's time for the kids' act. You're not going anywhere until you dance with me. Out of the way, Brad. I said you were going to dance with me. And I'm telling you there won't be any more music until after the kids' exhibition. You leave the band to me. Take your hands off me. (laughs) You heard the lady. Take your hands off her. Well, well. If it isn't Junior, I suppose you're going to make me. Yes, I am. Without a gun, you haven't got a chance. I'll show you. Why, you little squirt, I'll break you in two. Fred roared with rage as the kid's right caught him flush on the jaw, and he lashed back at him. But the kid dodged the blow and stepped in with a right and left to the face. The kid was fast, but it was an unequal fight from the beginning. Brad outweighed him by at least 50 pounds, and it was obvious to everyone that the first of his blows that landed solidly would mean the end for the kid. It came at last, and the kid was knocked off his feet and into a table. He hit hard and slumped to the floor. Brad started toward him. Don't you dare kick him, you big bully. Out of my way, Brad. Well, hello, Ben. Your hard help got smart with me. I've just been putting him in his place. That's good enough. Walk back to my office with me. Sure. I I came here to see you, Ben. Come on. You too, Dirk. Right with you, boss. Kid, you're all right, aren't you? Sure. I just cracked my head a little. Ben led the way to his office backstage. Once inside, he motioned to a chair for Brad and signaled to Dirk to close the door. Uh, what's on your mind, Brad? Well, I, I've got me a new job. new one? <laughs> it's your first, isn't it? <laughs> I've handled this kind of work before. You're working for Mike Lonigan, huh? That's right. Perhaps you ought to know that Mike's digging gravel on my property. I know that's what you claim. But Mike's got the law on his side. And he's also got me. So that's it. That's it. From now on, you're going to leave his sluices and his equipment alone. I've guaranteed, Mike, that you would. Huh? What's that? Don't be so nervous. It's only the kid starting his exhibition. Did I hear you right? You guaranteed, Mike, that I'd leave him alone? Yeah. Because I knew that all I'd have to do was ask you. What gave you that idea? Uh, maybe you better ask Dirk to step outside for a minute. No, he stays. He knows all my business. All of it? Yeah. Okay. Then he knows who killed Maxie Lake back in Frisco. Hey, what's that? Easy, Ben. Nobody's going to spill a word of it as long as you leave Mike alone. Is that understood? Think it over for a minute. I've watched the kid shoot for a while. Say, I'm glad he didn't have a gun when I tangled with him. I never saw shooting like this in my life. Close the door, Brad. Uh, Sure. So you thought it... No, no, Ben, put down that gun! Before Ben could fire, Brad threw himself across the room and grabbed Ben's gun arm. The two men fought for the gun. Brad fell to the floor. 
Fifteen minutes later, as the kid came off the stage, Dirk called him over to the open back door of the building. Hey, kid! Bring your rifle over here! What's the matter? Nothing. But you do all your shooting at short range on the stage. I want to see what you can do at a distance with a rifle. Name the target, Dirk. I've hung a lantern down there on the waterfront. Can you see it? Uh, sure. Well, let's see you put it out. All right. Good work. Anything to oblige. Hey, I didn't notice those people out on the dock. Suppose they thought I was shooting at them? Nah, they're just some of the boys I sent down there to watch the shot. Oh. You're all right, kid. Thanks, Dirk. A few minutes later, there was a knock on the door at the headquarters of the Northwest Mounted Police. Sergeant Preston was on duty, and the great dog King was lying beside his master's desk. Come in, the door's unlocked. Sergeant, you must come with me quick. What's the matter, Hans? A man's been shot. He's dead. Just a second while I get my parka. Who is it? Brad Kramer. What did happen? Is he called? No, he was not there, but that's where the shot came from. Let's go. One gang. Tell me about it, Hans. Well, I was down by the waterfront getting ready to fish through the ice. Yes? I see Brad Kramer come walking along. Oh, uh, first there's something that you should know. Tonight, Brad had a fight at the music hall with the kid. It's about that girl, Sally. What's that have to do with the shooting? Well, Brad knocked the kid down. He hit him very hard. What about the shooting? Well, it's because of the fight that I think it happened. I see the kid in the doorway of the music hall. Brad is near the dock, 200 yards away. The kid has a rifle. He raises it and shoots. Are you saying that Bill Desmond shot Brad Kramer? That's right, Sergeant. It is murder. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Fellas and girls, don't wait another day. Hurry, send for your official Challenge of the Yukon secret two-way signal light. It's new, it's different, it's terrific. This mystifying flashing signal light is like a special kind of flashlight, a super special kind. It's so unusual, you've probably never heard of anything quite like it. This amazing signal light works two ways. That is, it sends out beams of red light or beams of green light. It actually flashes either red or green. And it works with a simple flick of your finger. Imagine owning this amazing invention, made specially for flashing your own codes and messages to your particular friends. It works much like blinker signal guns used by the Army and Navy. Yes, this signal light has a special plastic directional signal barrel. That's to prevent others from detecting your secret signal flashes, except the person at whom they're aimed. And you can carry this handy two-way signal signal light anywhere you go without anyone detecting its presence. That's because it's pocket size, less than four inches long. It fits snugly in your pocket without anyone being the wiser. Talk about exciting. Say, you can make up secret codes and messages to signal friends. For instance, two red flashes might mean danger, stay back. Or one green flash and one red flash might mean help. Come at once. Say, your new official challenge of the Yukon signal light is the real McCoy. It's mystifying. It's a beauty. Its color is glistening shiny black, and it has Sergeant Preston's name in his own handwriting across the side. Important, too, it comes complete with standard replaceable electric bulb and batteries. And for yours today, send now for your secret signal light that flashes red, that flashes green. Just send 25 cents in coin. That's all. Just 25 cents and one box top from a package of delicious Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice. Print your name and address and send at once to Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. This official two-way signal light is not on sale in stores anywhere. 
This exclusive offer is made to introduce new friends to the swell-tasting breakfast cereals shot from guns. Ask mother to serve delicious Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice. You'll love it. And remember, to get your mystifying two-way signal light, send 25 cents and the top from the package. Mail to Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. I'll repeat, that's Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. Now to continue our story. Half an hour after Hans had brought the news of the murder to Sergeant Preston, Dirk entered Big Ben's office at the music hall. Boss, things aren't working out the way you thought they would. Why not? Well, the boys all did their part. They said they saw the kid shoot Brad. Wasn't that enough for Preston? I don't know. He examined the body and had it taken down to headquarters. Now he's out in the cafe. He's come to arrest the kid. He's sure taking his time about it. The kid and Sally are sitting at a table over in the corner. He hasn't even gone near them. He's asking everybody about the fight. He has to get all the facts. Has he questioned you yet? About what? The kid must have told him that you asked him to shoot at a lantern. He hasn't even talked to the kid. I can't figure it out. Maybe that's the sergeant now. Come in. Well, hello, sergeant. Good evening, Ben. Won't you have a chair? Thanks. (laughs) Dunking. You know, this is sad business. Larry. I feel that I'm partly to blame. Do you? Well, I'm the one who brought the kid up here. I didn't realize he was dangerous, though. Brad came here to see you tonight, didn't he, Ben? Well, no. He came here to see Sally. That's what the fight was about. It was you who stopped the fight. Yeah. And you took Brad back here. That's right. To keep him away from the kid. No one saw Brad leave the building, Ben. Maybe he didn't go out the front way. There's a back door just around the corner. I guess the kid saw him leave, all right. He must have just finished his act about that time. Yeah, you know, I saw the kid fire the shot, too, Sergeant. He was standing in the open doorway with a rifle in his hand. I saw him raise it, take aim, and shoot. Oh. The distance doesn't mean anything to him. He let Brad get all the way down to the river. No, that isn't the way it happened. What do you mean? On sod, so did Dirk. It's a cold night. The wind bites through unless your parka's well buttoned. What's that got to do with it? Brad's parka was buttoned. Well, sure. You said... I still don't see... There's no bullet hole in it. Eh? No. The parka must have been buttoned after Brad was shot. Well, I suppose... uh, I suppose one of the men who found him... They said they didn't touch the body. Yes, but... The parka isn't the only evidence in the kid's favor. I saw him shoot. From the back door here, with Brad 200 yards away. Yeah? There were powder burns on Brad's clothing... The bullet that killed Brad was fired at close range. Your testimony, Dirk, and the testimony of the others have put the kid in the clear. But he must have... The sergeant's right, Dirk. The kid shot couldn't have killed him. That's uh, certainly a relief. No relief to me, although I'm glad it wasn't the kid. I still have to find the man who did it. Are you sure Brad left the building as soon as he left your office, Ben? Uh, No, not at all. But he must have left the front way... No one saw him. Say, you're not accusing me, are you? Of course not. There's no evidence against anyone yet. Perhaps there won't be until we find the motive for the killing. The kid had a fight with Brad about Sally. I thought Sally was your girl, Ben. Well, she likes the kid. He likes her. Brad tried to make Sally dance with him. If I'd have been there at the time, I'd have taken a poke at him myself. Of course you would. 
We'll have to look for another motive, but uh, we have a lead, haven't we, King? Better start following it up. Come on, boy. Good night, Ben. Good night. Good night, sir. Good night. He's a cool customer. Too cool to suit me. But there's no way he can find out. He said he had a lead. If he finds out why Brad came here... He can't. How much does Mike Lonigan know, Dirk? I never thought of him. I've been thinking of nothing else. Yeah? Dirk, uh, follow the sergeant. Okay. I've got a hunch he's going to leave town. Now watch him. If he takes the trail for Rainbow Creek... Well, if he does... Get back here fast. It was to Rainbow Creek that the sergeant went that night. The trail was hard packed, and with King setting the pace, the trip was made in two hours. Mike Lonigan was roused from his sleep. All right, I'm coming. Sergeant Preston. I can't waste any time. Sit down and listen to me, Mike. I sure, Sergeant. Sit down and listen. Sure. Two weeks ago, your sluice boxes were robbed. You called on the Northwest Mounted Police to investigate. I was assigned to the case, and I not only found the man who committed the robbery, but I arrested him. It was George Tracy. Good work. Now listen. He's in jail, and he's confessed that Ben Diamond hired him to do the job. The only reason Ben hasn't been arrested is we have only Tracy's word, and that's not enough to convict him. However, the San Francisco police have been in touch with us concerning Ben, or at least someone whose description fits him. It's possible that Ben will go back to the States to face a murder charge. Uh, Sergeant... Let me finish. You haven't been satisfied with the way the police have been handling your case. You decided to do something about it yourself. You hired Brad Kramer. How do you know that? Brad started talking as soon as he arrived in town. You hired him as protection against Ben. Now, why? Why'd you pick him for the job? Because he said that Ben was afraid of him. Why? At least that he had something on him. Yes, that's what I thought. Well, you've lost your protection, Mike. You'll have to be satisfied with the force in the future. Why? What's happened? Brad is dead. Murdered. Ben do it? Must have been either Ben or one of his men. Brad went to the music hall tonight. Got in a fight with Bill Desmond, but that doesn't have anything to do with it. He went there to see Ben, didn't he? Sergeant? You're right about the murder charge in the States. Kramer knew Ben was wanted. He was going to threaten him. He did. And as a result, Ben put a bullet through his heart. The force may not work fast enough to suit you, Mike, but believe me, it isn't safe to take the law into your own hands. No, I was wrong. I know I shouldn't have had anything to do with Brad, but he came to me and he said... Well, that doesn't matter now. I'm going back to Dawson and arrest Ben. There's only circumstantial evidence against him, but at least I can hold him till the officer from the States arrives. Let's go, King. An hour later, Dirk and Hans drove dog teams up to the back entrance of the music hall. Dirk went inside and headed straight for Ben's office. The big man was stuffing gold and currency into a carpet bag. We're all set. Very yeah, good. I'll be ready in a minute. You haven't said anything to anybody. Nobody but Hans. You said he could come with us. Yeah, he's a good man with a gun. Yeah, give me a hand with this. It's too heavy for one man to carry. Sure. Well, so you're leaving. What makes you think so? That safe looks mighty empty to me. Take care of it, Dirk. Use your gun butt. Don't. No, I... Oh. What do we do with her? 
Just leave her here? Nah. We'll take her with us. I don't like that. It's no business of yours. I'll take her out and put her on one of the sleds. Okay. Take her back here and give me a hand with this bag and hurry it up. Okay. When the sergeant drove up to the music hall, there was an excited crowd out in front. The kid was just about to step on the running board of a sled to which six Labradors were hitched when he saw the Mountie. Okay. Hurry, hurry. Sergeant, they're going. Ben? Yeah, Ben and Dirk and Hans, and they've taken Sally with them. There are sled tracks leading from the back of the building here down to the river. They're heading north. There's 40 mile on the border. You're sure about that? Well, they're gone. The safe's empty. And Dirk and Hans were seen harnessing dog teams and loading their sleds with supplies. That's good enough for me. I'll follow them. I'm sure that Sally didn't go with them willingly. I'm sure of that, too. Ben's realized the game's up. Was he the one? He killed Brad Kramer, and he's wanted for another murder in the States. Oh, can't I come with you? I might be able to help catch him. I'm afraid he wouldn't be able to keep up. King was working in harness, and he lunged forward at the sergeant's command, down to the river and then north along the Yukon Trail, faster and faster, a pace that no other team in the territory could match, mile after mile, one hour, two hours. And then the sergeant, who was watching the landmarks on the bank closely, shouted a command. Parking! Park! That's it, boy. We're taking the overland trail and cutting off the bend. The cutoff that the sergeant followed saved at least five miles. And when the river was reached once more, there were no fresh sled tracks. The sergeant stopped in the shadow of a large boulder on the bank. Parking! Make them quiet down, King. A bark from King and the other members of the team dropped in their tracks. Silently, the sergeant waited. An hour passed. The northern lights faded from the sky. The gray dawn dispersed the sharp blue shadow that the boulder had made on the gleaming snow. And then the sergeant saw the men. Ben was driving the first sled and Sally was riding it. Dirk drove the second with Hans as his passenger. The sergeant stepped out on the trail, his rifle ready. Stop in the name of the queen! Don't go for your guns! But the three men paid no attention to the sergeant's command. Dirk and Hans dropped down behind their sled. Ben pulled Sally from the sled so that she acted as a shield. The sergeant was unable to shoot without hitting her, and Ben fired. The shot hit the sergeant in the leg and knocked him to the ground. His rifle flew from his hand, out of reach, and Ben prepared to shoot again. But King jumped in front of the sergeant, ready to protect his fallen master with his life. Ben thrust Sally aside. All right. The sergeant started crawling toward his rifle. And then suddenly, sharply, from a hundred yards up the trail, a rifle spoke. And Ben clutched at his right arm. It was the kid who had fired. He stood in full view, and now he was squeezing the trigger as he aimed at Dirk. But both Dirk and Hans shifted their position so that the sled would give them protection from the kid's bullets, and they started firing back at him. The sergeant called the king. Quick, king, the rifle. The great dog ran to pick up the rifle as his master took advantage of the diversion to crawl back to the cover of the boulder. Here, boy, here. Good work, king. Now, in spite of his wound, the sergeant was ready to take part in the battle once more. The kid was firing from the shelter of his own sled, and his bullets were chipping wood from Dirk and Hans' cover. Sergeant's first shot made them realize they were completely exposed to his fire, and panic seized them. They shouted their surrender. Sally, you all right? Come here, then. It's only my leg. Here, take my rifle and keep them covered. All right. Come on, kid. A few minutes later, the kid had taken charge of the prisoners under the sergeant's supervision. Dirk and Hans wore handcuffs. Will you take care of Ben's arms, Sally? After I take care of you, Sergeant. Ben deserves a lot worse than he got. He'll get what he deserves, don't worry. Why, kid, 
What's the matter? Your hands are shaking. It's the first time I've ever been nervous with a gun in my hands. Shooting straight counted so much. Sally and King and I are grateful for what you did. But I had to shoot straight. It seemed to me that every bit of practice I put in during my whole life was just so that I'd be ready for that one moment. You see, I love Sally. I want to marry her. You will. <laughs> okay. But if the sergeant's grateful to you, you should be grateful to him. If he hadn't been such a good detective, Ben might have sent you to jail. I am grateful, Sergeant. We've made a good team. Now that it's over, I don't mind telling you that King and I have never had a closer call. How about it, boy? Yes, King, I agree. We've been lucky. I'm just as glad as you are that this case is closed. In just a moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Monday's adventure. Here's one more chance, fellas and girls. One more chance to send for your mystifying, flashing, two-way signal light. That's the special new invention, like a flashlight, for signaling secret codes and messages to your friends. This amazing signal light works two ways. It flashes red and it flashes green. It's not sold in stores. Supplies are limited, so act fast. Send your name and address, plus 25 cents, and one box top from delicious Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice. Mail immediately to Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. I'll repeat, that's Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and edited by Franz Stryker. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns. Listen Monday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case Trailmates. When King and I met two men on the trail and joined them as trail mates, I had no idea we were with a couple of bank robbers. When they realized I was becoming suspicious, trouble really started, and I was lucky to come out of that adventure alive. Be sure to hear this exciting adventure Monday. Till then, this is Jay Michael wishing you goodbye, good luck, and good health from Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice. So long. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Archie's behind the bar and expecting an old schoolmate to show up for drinks. Truche, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra, and Vitalis for well-groomed hair, bring you Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. the proven way to keep your hair well-groomed. The way successful men in both sports and business keep their hair looking its very best. It's Vitalis and the 60-second workout. See how the Vitalis workout helps your hair, stimulates your scalp. See how it prevents dryness, routes loose dandruff, and helps check excessive falling hair. 
And see how Vitalis keeps your hair handsome and healthy looking with never a trace of a greasy patent leather shine. For there's not a single drop of mineral oil in Vitalis. So try Vitalis and the 60-second workout. You'll like it. And you'll like what it does for the looks of your hair. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you leave me? Deed Archie, the man you're speaking. Duffy ain't here. Hello, Duffy. Oh, nothing new. The letter carrier was just in. Delivered a stack of poison pen letters. Yeah, bills. <laughs> well, so much for the bulk of the mail. Uh, now for the complaints. Uh, there's a letter here from the Department of Sanitation. Yeah, they say we'll have to do something about the garbage, Duffy. Yeah, they claim it ate a hole through the bottom of their truck. <laughs> Well, look, I'll call you back. Uh, <clears throat> what else have we got, Eddie? Uh... Well, get a personal letter to you from the finance company. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they say if you don't settle up right away, they're going to throw you in jail. Oh, yeah? What else do they say? I don't know. I ain't opened it yet. <laughs> <laughs> them finance companies, when you first go to them, they're as sweet as pie. Yeah. Just overlook a couple of years' payments and you find out they're real character. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. Look at here. A letter from the Ritz-Carlton. Hey, who do I know lives at the Ritz-Carlton? Let's see. Yeah, dear Archie, haven't seen you since our old days at PS4, but have often thought about you. Many's the time I think about our old class motto, Sick in Hock Transit Hospice. <laughs> what does that mean? Nothing, it's Latin. <laughs> Who's our class code? Uh, we'll be down to see you at the tavern tonight. Signed, your old classmate, Willie Gundig. Willie Gundig, I wonder if I'll recognize him. It's been such a long time since I was in school. Yeah, and you were there such a short time. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Gundig, hmm. Living at the Ritz-Carlton. Good friend of yours? Well, no. Uh, him and me never hit it off too good, Eddie. He was always rubbing it in because he got better marks than me. I happened to know it was because he cheated. Cheated? Yeah, he studied. <laughs> hmm. Living at the Ritz-Carlton. I never could stand that guy. I always thought he was such a big shot just because his old man owned his own push cart. <laughs> always walking around with his nose in the air like he was smelling something bad. Uh, hello, Finnegan. Uh, uh, Finnegan, guess who I just got a letter from? Uh, General Smutch? <laughs> No. Well, then I give up. <laughs> uh, look, I, uh, can you give me a clue? Well, okay. He was in PS4 with us, and his initials is WG. Uh, George Washington? <laughs> Wrong again, Finnegan. It's Willie Gundig. Willie Gundig? You remember him. Remember the guy was always being punished for putting the girl's hair in the inkwells, uh, tying the cans on dogs' tails, uh, uh, putting tax on the teacher's chair. Yeah. Well, uh, Willie Gundig was the guy that always squealed on me. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, oh, oh, that's Willie Gundy. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> the guy the yearbook said was the most likely to succeed. Hey, wait a minute. I wonder if I still got that yearbook here in the safe. Uh, uh good old P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.A.P.S.
here's one that brings back old memories, though. The old baseball team. We sure had a great ball team that year, didn't we, Finnegan? Yeah, boy, I'll say. Look, there's Lefty Schultz, a first baseman. Yeah, and Lefty Ryan, a shortstop. And... Yeah, Lefty McManus, the catcher. <laughs> Lefty Shapiro, the center fielder. Yeah. Georgie Baker, the third baseman. And... Georgie Baker? How come he wasn't left-handed? <laughs> he was. We just ran out of nicknames. <laughs> Uh... By the way, Finnegan, uh, tell Eddie who was the star of that team. Oh, you tell him, boy. Well, I don't like to brag. Um... Oh, come on, Lefty, tell me. <laughs> well, Eddie, I'll never forget the day we played PS6 for the Division C championship. <laughs> Get this, Eddie. Get the drama. I'm pitching for PS4, see? It's the ninth inning... There's two out, and the bags is loaded, see? Up to the plate comes home run Feigenbaum. The heaviest hitter on PS6. So I give him a cool look in the eye for a couple of minutes, and I start me wind-up, see? Eddie, I threw three straight strikes at him. The guy never got his bat off his shoulder. I'm telling you, the crowd went nuts. That strikeout won the game for PS4, huh? Uh, not exactly. They, uh, they nose this out 43 to nothing. <laughs> All on account of that Willie Gundig dropping that high fly in the second inning. <laughs> the guy most likely to succeed. Happens a lot of other PS4 guys succeeded, too. Oh, Archie, stop bragging. You know that PS4 turned out nothing but bums. Oh, yeah? What about Al Peters, for instance? Who's he? Only the chief herring salter at the Fulton Fish Market. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Henry Shaw? Another success? Merely the head of the Will Call Department of Feinberg's Tiny Tuts Toggery Shop. <laughs> and what about Gus Christophilus, the famous television actor? A famous television actor? Ain't lost a fall in 15 straight bouts. <laughs> and they pick Willie Gundig as the most likely to succeed. Hmm. Hey, Miss Archie, here comes Joe Moran, the radio announcer. Hey, well, wasn't he one of your pals at PS4? Oh, sure. Hi, Joe. Hiya, Lefty. <laughs> uh, hey, Joe, we were just going over the old yearbook here. Uh, uh, you remember Willie Gundig. Uh... Willie Gundig? Yeah. Whatever happened to him? He's uh, living at the Ritz-Carlton. Say, that's swell. I'm always glad to hear that one of the old gang made good. Yeah, me too. Say, I wonder if Willie knows that I am now a radio announcer. Well, if he don't, I'll break it to him gentle. I'll tell him first that you're dead. <laughs> hey, Lars, is, is Joe's picture here in the yearbook? Yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah, here you are, Joe. <laughs> what a silly picture. Look at me with my mouth wide open. Yeah, even them days you look like a radio announcer. <laughs> Look, why do you guys have to open your mouths anyhow, Joe? What do you mean? Well, people never listen to them commercials. Why don't you just save your breath and read them silent for yourself? But, Arch, if people listened and heard nothing but silence, what would they think? That radio had at last been perfected. <laughs> Oh, look, 
Look, Arch, that's silly. You mean I should just stand there and move my lips? Why not? Go ahead, just move your lips and see if I can tell what you're saying. Well, okay. Uh, Touche is the different hand lotion. Right. <laughs> it not only keeps hands feeling smoother, looking lovelier all the time. Absolutely right. Wait a minute, you studied a bit. Uh, stuttered a bit. Oh! <laughs> he stuttered a bit. Okay, we both stuttered a bit. Okay, well, what was it you said? We got to get this thing in here. All right, you want to know what I said? What did you say? All right, Truchet also has a unique beforehand extra that protects hands from chapping. Okay, try another one. Right. <laughs> As long as Truchet is on your hands, they're guarded against painful chapping. That's right. Water chapping as well as weather chapping. Arch, I didn't say that. Well, I didn't want to make you seem like a blabbermouth. <laughs> but that's all aside to the point, Joe. Tell me something. Look, when Willie Gundy gets here, what can I do to impress him that I am also a big success? You could hide. <laughs> You know, Arch, you sound like you're sore at Willie Gundy. Me sore? Why? Just because he's living at the Ritz-Carlton? I'm glad he's a success. Good luck to him. But don't give him too much credit. Don't forget, success is all in the breaks. What do you mean it's all in the breaks? Well, take me. Nine years ago, when I answered Duffy's ad for a busboy. What about it? If I had looked two inches to the left, I'd have seen that ad for an expert suspension bridge engineer. What? What do you know about being a suspension bridge engineer? What did I know about being a busboy? <laughs> what I say, it's all in the brakes. Now look, Eddie. When Willie gets here, I want you to bear me out in one little white lie, huh? What's the white lie? I'm gonna tell him I'm a millionaire. <laughs> How are you going to explain to him why you're working as a bartender? I'm eccentric. <laughs> but them clothes are yours. How are you going to explain all them spots? Money stains. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why couldn't I have me stockbroker come in and tell me what a fortune I just made, huh? Who's going to be the stockbroker? Well, let me see. Who could... Uh... Eddie, I know what you're thinking, but who else is there? Uh, look, Finnegan yeah. When Willie Gundy gets here tonight I want you to tell him that you're a big stockbroker from Wall Street, see? What's Wall Street? Well, it's uh, sort of an unsocial pyramid club uh... Look, Ike, if I'm going to be a broker Shouldn't I know something about stocks? Believe me, you know as much about them as anybody. <laughs> but uh, just in case, I'll try to explain to you quickly how the market works here. Uh -huh. You see, the dollar, or as it was originally known as uh, the wampum, uh, <laughs> was used as barter until the gold standard came in, see? Now, this change didn't take place just overnight. It took many years of civilization for the dollar to get up to as little value as it has today. <laughs> Uh, now, to continue, as, uh, as you probably know... Uh, Art, uh, let's not take anything for granted. Okay. 
As you probably don't know... Uh, I'd better. Uh, all business is based on money, yeah. you see. Now, when you have money, it's called capital. Uh, when you're trying to get it, it's called labor. <laughs> uh, this is what they call the Dow Jones averages. Uh, in other words, uh, when you buy stocks and they go up, uh, you get a seat on the stock exchange. Uh, uh, see, but what happens if the stocks go down? Then you lose your seat. <laughs> well, look, uh, all right, uh, uh, if you lose your seat, where do you sit? Uh, you, you sit on a thing uh, called the curb. <laughs> Any further questions? Yeah. What? How can I be a stockbroker when I can only count up to ten? With stocks the way they are today, you don't have to count any higher. That is, unless you happen to be Willie Gundick. Hmm. He'd probably come rolling down here in a big car. Wait a minute, a big car. Eddie, call Mutual 95000. Who is that, the laughing Lithuanian or the chuckling check? Eddie, quit making up names. <laughs> Give me the phone. Hello? I'd like to talk to Nick, please. Yes, the giggling Greek. <laughs> Hello, Nick. Uh, this is Archie from Duffy's Tavern. Uh, send over a Cadillac limousine, will you? The money? Look, Nick, if I buy the car, you'll get the money. Okay. Eddie, uh, I don't think that car will look uh, right standing outside the tavern without a chauffeur. I said I don't think the car will look right standing outside the tavern without a chauffeur. Now, wait, whoa. See, I was hired as a waiter. You can also be fired as a waiter. <laughs> well? Will you be needing the car today, sir? That's better. I'll show that, Willie Gundy. <laughs> Good afternoon, sir. I'm looking for the gentleman who ordered the new limousine. I am that millionaire. You? You see any other millionaires around? Uh, come on, chauffeur. Uh, leave us go outside and take a look at the car. Well, there she is, gentlemen. A brand new 1949. Ha! Ziggity. <laughs> and with a car like that, I could be the Alley Con of Harlem. <laughs> Just a second, young man. Uh, looks ain't everything. You know, a car is like a dame. It's what's under the hood that counts. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to check the motor. Check the motor? Look, bud, this is a 1949 Cadillac. I am not impressed by sales talk. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd like to look over the motor myself. Okay, if you insist. Well, uh, let me lift up the hood here. Yeah. Looks like a pretty good motor. You're looking in the trunk compartment. <laughs> huh? But the motor is up at the other end of the car. Oh. Just want to see if you know your business. Uh... <laughs> now, tell me, uh, is uh, this the model with the uh, hydrochloride clutch? <laughs> the what? Well, I'll try to put it simply. Uh, what is the horsepower? It's 160. 
On what basis is that computed? Well, it's figured on the basis of 550 foot-pounds in one second or 33,000 foot-pounds in one minute. I'm afraid you haven't answered my question. (laughs) What I'm trying to find out is, uh, does this horsepower have uh, Timken bearings? Uh, I give up. (laughs) See, Eddie, I got him stumped. Let's see here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, they got a new type carburetor. Bud, that's the horn. Oh, oh yes, this is the carburetor over here. That's the battery. Uh, wait a minute, here's a cute little gadget. Uh, hey, hey, what's that thing? That? Is? Well, that mixes gasoline with air to form a vapor that explodes when injected into the cylinders. Oh, really? What do they call it? The carburetor. <laughs> He was doing better in the trunk rack. <laughs> you was in there with me, I think. Uh, look, young man, uh, just uh, leave the car parked uh, here at the curb for a few hours, and I'll think it over. Uh, by the way, uh, what's the price? Six thousand dollars. Only twelve thousand payments. This is yours. Yeah, it's worth it, though, just to burn up that Willie Gundig. Well, look, young man, as I say, I'll think it over. Uh, just leave it parked there in front of the tavern for a few hours until I make up my mind, huh? Okay. But you don't mind if I take the key, do you? Not at all. Uh, just be sure that you leave the price tag on in a prominent place. Yeah. What you doing, Mr. Archie? Uh, hanging up some pictures. Mm. I'll show that, Willie Gundig. Look at this autograph here, Eddie, huh? Let's see. Sorry, Archie, but I'm marrying for love. Money isn't everything. Signed, Rita Hayworth. (laughs) (laughs) Me, the man most likely to be a failure. (laughs) Give me another tack, will you? Yeah, yeah. I want to hang up this map of the world. Yeah. How's that look, Eddie? Let me see. To Archie, thanks for the loan, signed, France, Italy, and Great Britain. (laughs) And that's the same Archie that was voted the most likely to be a failure. (laughs) Well, that guy gets here. Between me stockbroker, me chauffeur, me Cadillac, and them autographs, I'll have that Willie Gundig borrowing money from me. Wait a minute. This looks like him coming in now. Willie? Archie? Yeah. You ain't changed a bit. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> so you're Willie Gundig, the man voted most likely to succeed, huh? That's right, Arch. You remember that, huh? I certainly did. Arch, uh, tell me, do you remember the time that... I remember it very well. <laughs> well, it's great to see you again, Arch. Thank you. I noticed your letter was wrote on Ritz-Carlton Stationery. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk to you about. Don't brag about it. There's a couple of other guys that are doing okay, too. Did you see that limousine outside? Yeah. It's mine. Well, I'm glad to hear you're doing so well, Arch. As for me... Uh, just a second. Oh, James, uh... Yes, my lord? <laughs> uh, better put the limousine in the garage and get out the convertible. It's beginning to look like rain. <laughs> okay, sire. 
Uh, James is me chauffeur, you know. Uh, oh, we... a chauffeur, huh? Yes. Oh, by the way, James. Uh, yes, sir? When I go for my usual drive in the park today, be sure to cover me with me buffalo robe. Uh, <laughs> and take care to tuck me in with the fur side towards me. Uh, what? Why? Well, you always keep the fur side closest to, you know. It's warmer that way. Uh-huh. Too bad the buffalo didn't know that. <laughs> That'll be all, James. Uh, now, Willie, uh, enough about my fabulous success. Uh, <clears throat> tell me about yourself. Well, I'll tell you, Art. Uh, that Cadillac, you know, cost $6,000. Well, it's a sure a surprise, Arch. You know, I always thought you'd end up... Well, you remember what the yearbook said about you? Leave us in that park at Sleeping Dogs. <laughs> now, where was we? Uh, oh, yes, you was talking about what a big shot you was. Well... Uh, excuse me a minute. Oh, stockbroker, uh... Uh, tape. Uh, have we heard anything from the Secretary of the Treasury? Yeah, he says he wants you to send in your taxes. The government needs the money. <laughs> oh, uh, how much is me taxes, uh... Half a million bucks. Okay, go down to the bank and get it. Wait a minute, forget the bank. Uh, take it out of petty cash. <laughs> well, Willie, tell me, uh, how are things with you? Uh, well, I... Uh, just a second. Oh, stockbroker. Yeah? Uh, what's the latest on the ticket? The doctor says not to worry. It's just gas. <laughs> My broker was slightly stunned in the crash of 29, you know. <laughs> But enough about me and uh, my sensational success. Uh, tell me about you, Willie. Uh, how you doing? Well, frankly, Arch, I could use ten bucks. Oh, Starkbrook. What did you say, Willie? I could use ten bucks. You mean you're broke? Yeah. But how can you be broke and live at the Ritz-Carlton? I don't live there. I just work there. That is, until yesterday. Then why did you write your letter in their stationery just to look like a big shot? Well, I can explain that, Arch. Willie, if there's anything I hate, it's a phony. It's... <laughs> Arch, don't get sore. I just thought maybe for old time's sake you could let me have ten bucks. It wouldn't mean anything much to a guy like you. Oh, a Cadillac. <laughs> I guess ten bucks ain't gonna break a man of my means. Uh, James. Find some other means. <laughs> yeah. You really need it then, huh, Willie? I sure could use it. Okay, kid. Hey, uh, here's ten bucks. Thanks, Arch. You're still a great guy. And if I run into any of the old gang, I'm sure gonna tell them what you did for me. Please, just tell the ones with money. <laughs> uh, well, nice to have seen you again, Willie. Uh, sick in hot transit hospice. So long, Arch. So long, kid. Good old Willie. Nice guy, Eddie. I always liked him. He to be a failure, and here he has to come to me for a lousy ten bucks. Ain't it funny how life sometimes works out? This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Damon Runyon, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zuma Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.